Good morning and welcome to this week's nutrition class. I am as usual Joe Dell here bringing you the latest and greatest in nutrition and health tips all about today we're talking periods, PMS, pre and post menopause as well as infertility, fertility issues, period pain. So before you change the dial a few things that you should know. Okay, if you know someone, if maybe you don't experience period pain or are not in menopause or not experiencing infertility, this, this information could help you help somebody else. But if you are experiencing any of the things I mentioned, really any phase of a woman's cycle, you're going to benefit from this inf information because our periods, whether you're having them now or whether they stopped, the way they used to be will affect what's going on in your menopause phase as well. So when you look back at your periods, if you're in menopause, what your cycle was doing is determining what symptoms you're experiencing now. And if you're still in reproductive years and you're still cycling, this information is going to be really important because a lot of women are struggling with period pain, mood swings, breast tenderness, and we're going to go into why a period at best should be an inconvenience. It shouldn't be painful. If you know someone who's struggling with infertility, this, this information will apply to them as well. And this is becoming an epidemic too, this issue of people unable to conceive and having a lot of fertility issues. So uh, that's a very dark path to walk down. In fact, I myself have been down that path, so I know how detrimental it is. So this information is really important. Even if you're a guy watching, you might have a female in your life that struggles with her female cycle. So pay attention to this because there should be some tips in here that are really going to give you some nuggets of truth to share with that person and help their, improve their cycle or their moods or their um, transition into menopause, whatever that looks like. It all plays into a couple of the same factors which we're going to talk about today. So no matter where a woman is in her cycle, she really wants to hone in on the things we're going to mention today um, in order to improve that cycle and in order to get her on the road to not having symptoms. Okay, That's what we want in whatever phase of life we're in. We want to feel good and not have too many symptoms related to that phase. So disclaimer, okay, this information is for educational purposes only. It should not be construed as medical advice. So please talk to your OBGYN before implementing any of these uh, suggestions. Also, second disclaimer, I'm about to get very graphic talking about a, wee <laughs> a woman's cycle. I'm going to use words like vagina and menstrual. And if you are not comfortable with those um, or you have sensitive ears or you don't like the word pads or you know, menstruation, then you might not want to listen to this. So you might want to skip this one. But it's going to get very graphic because I want to make sure we touch on everything, even the type of blood you should be seeing when you're having a cycle. Okay. So as I start talking about periods, I'd like, I would like those of you in menopause to still pay attention and think back to your cycles, like I said, because a lot of times when I consult with a woman in menopause, one of the very first things I ask her if she's having menopausal symptoms is, tell me about your cycle before it stopped, because that's going to give me a big symptom picture of what she was experiencing. Was she estrogen dominant? Was she having blood sugar handling issues? Was she having adrenal issues? All of those will show up in some of those symptoms that she portrays to me. So the average female starting her cycle um, can experience a lot of period pain, okay? Sometimes between 12 and 14 is generally when a girl is going to start. I will say nowadays girls are starting as young as like even 8 and 9, which is really scary. But the average female starting her cycle will be told, you know, if she's having cramping or heavy bleeding, oh, all of that's normal, that's just you. And that's not always the case, okay? Doctors will say that, but a period, like I mentioned, at best, a period should be an inconvenience. It should not be painful. There should not be breast tenderness. There should not be cramping. There should not be mood swings. They should not be overly emotional. They should not have back pain and period poops and all these things that come along with a very painful cycle, okay? You should not be diagnosed with PMS, okay? That is a legit syndrome, so is PMDD, which is just an extreme form of PMS, but that's not something that's normal, 
okay? I'm going to tell you that it's normal in society, but it's not normal for your body. You should have a period. You should know what day it's coming because you should be regular, but you shouldn't have any symptoms related to it. A very healthy female will have none of those things that I mentioned. They'll have just a day where they start, they bleed for, you know, five to seven days, sometimes even three to four days, and then they stop and they go back into rebuilding that uterine lining, okay? So what is the female cycle anyway? A lot of people don't even understand how it works. They don't know what the follicular phase is. They don't know what the luteal phase is. So I want to break that down just briefly so that you understand what phase you're in or how your cycle worked when you were cycling if you're in menopause. Because like I said, what happened then is determining why you're having symptoms now in menopause. So a woman's menstrual cycle has different phases. The menstruation phase, obviously, when you bleed. The follicular phase, when you're building up follicles for ovulation, as well as you're building up the uterine lining. The ovulation phase, where you release the egg. And the luteal phase, which is the last two weeks when you start, when your body says, am I pregnant, am I not? Okay, enlist a bleed, okay? Um, so first comes the menstrual phase. This is days one through probably seven for most women, okay? This phase is when a woman, a woman gets her period and her levels of hormones, estrogen and progesterone, drop, okay? Usually lasts, like I said, three to seven days, but can vary between individuals. So this is the bleed phase. This is when, this is the first week of your cycle. A lot of women get that confused. They think the first week of their cycle is after they're done bleeding, but the first week of your cycle is when you're bleeding, okay? Then this also kicks off the follicular phase, which begins one day, uh, on day one of your period and continues until ovulation, okay? So the menstruation, the bleed phase is also part of the follicular phase. So they kind of go in hand in hand. So that is built, that's telling your body levels of hormones are dropping. Let's prepare to rebuild the uterine lining in case we get pregnant coming up, okay? During this phase, the pituitary gland releases follicle-stimulating hormone. Okay. And this is the test that you'll do to determine if you're in menopause, too. They'll run your FSH, and they'll tell you if it's really high that you're in menopause. Okay, So that's something to keep in mind, too. If you want to know, am I in menopause, you can go get that tested. During the, now the ovulation phase, luteinizing hormone is released. This is a hormone in response to the follicular phase's rising estrogen levels. So if you wonder if you're ovulating, there's some good signs to know you're going to get a sticky egg white discharge. I told you this is going to be graphic. I'm telling it like it is. You're going to get maybe a little bit of twinge of, um, you're going to feel those ovaries. Like on the right and left side, you might feel a little twinge, sometimes just on one side. But generally, you might feel a little twinge, little, little tingles, or sometimes pain. We don't always want pain with it, but you might also see a rise in body temperature if you're getting up and taking your temperature while you're still laying in bed. Happens around day 14 of your cycle. You might see that temperature increase, okay? But the main thing you're going to notice is, like I said, that sticky egg white consistency discharge. You're going to be able to, like if you were to touch it, it's kind of stringy and sticky like a gel, okay? When you see that, that's usually an indication that your mucus has changed and you're ovulating, okay? This is where we see a rise in progesterone and a slight bump in estrogen levels, followed by a drop in the hormones when you start towards that luteal phase, okay? So after luteinizing hor hormone is released to help produce that egg, and the egg kicks off and it's going down the fallopian tubes to be implanted, those little... Um, things that kicked off the egg, it's called the corpus luteum, that's where your progesterone comes from. So progesterone is released from that to prepare for possible pregnancy. Progesterone is progestation, so it's your hormone, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in a little bit, but it's your hormone that helps promote gestation. Okay, so this is where we see that rise in progesterone. And typically during a woman's cycle, ovulation is where she's going to feel her best. She's going to have the most energy. She's probably going to look her best because you'll notice your face changes. A woman's face will change throughout her monthly cycle. Um, and that's to prepare for implanting an egg. We actually look our best during ovulation. Uh, so if you ever, like, take a picture of your face throughout your cycle, you're going to notice that day 14, 15, 16, you're, like, your lips are fuller, your eyes are bigger, maybe your skin is brighter. That's the natural process of the human body, you know, being more attractive to the opposite sex. So that's when you're actually going to feel more libido, you're going to feel a lot more energy, you're going to be probably your happiest because you're 
hormones are elevated. Uh, so that is all what you want to experience during ovulation. Now the luteal phase is where we experience those lovely PMS symptoms if they're there, okay? They really shouldn't be there, but the bloating, the headache, the weight changes, the food cravings, the trouble sleeping, we're gonna talk all about those symptoms. But that's where, when the hormones are out of balance, that's where you're gonna see that. But the luteal phase is where you're preparing for pregnancy. At some point, those hormones levels drop because they realize there's no pregnancy, or if there is, things change. But if there's no pregnancy, that's when the, the hormones level drop, and that signals the body to release that built-up uterine lining in the form of blood, okay? So, ovulation is the star of the period, not the bleed, okay? A lot of people give attention to the bleed. That's not the star. We want to see how good ovulation is. We want all of those things I mentioned around ovulation, you feeling good, you looking good, you getting that, that mucusy, sticky discharge, you getting the, the feeling of being on top of the world, those are the symptoms that we want to see in order to know that you're having a good female cycle, okay? Then, secondly, we want to look at are you having symptoms prior to your menstruation, okay? Are you having those, those period pain, if you will? There's two types of period pain we're going to go into. Now, those of you that are in menopause that are watching this, please continue watching because what we're talking about, you need to think back to your period, like I said, and, and this will help you decipher what's going on for you now, okay? If you're having symptoms in menopause now, such as insulin resistance or weight gain or hot flashes or night sweats, any of that, because just like a period should be an inconvenience, transitioning into menopause should not be difficult, okay? It's become difficult for a variety of reasons, which we're gonna get into, but it's not meant to be difficult. Used to be our ancestors would transition into menopause with no problem. They would lose their female cycle, and they would transition into more of this uh, pace of life that was more purposeful. They would become more purposeful. They would find their passion in life outside of procreation, outside of, of giving birth. Because keep in mind, the female body was designed to do pretty much one thing, which is carry a baby. There's not another, you know, men can't do that. So the, the species relies on us. So a lot of times we have gotten in the way of our female cycle, and that's why we're having symptoms. We've done things outside of the realm of what's natural for humans, such as being indoors all day, such as being on devices all day, such as eating improper foods that are processed. Those kind of things stress the body. So they're going to put the body in a position to say, I'm in no position to house a baby right now. Okay, so we, against the sins of nature, against our instincts, have done things to compromise our cycle, which is the one thing the female body is supposed to do, okay? Amongst other things, I mean, we're nurturers and things like that, but that goes right in hand with procreation, okay? So let's go back to period pain, because now we realize that the majority of people sh should not be experiencing the symptoms they are, but I'll tell you, after consulting with thousands of women, I've not met very many that have no symptoms around their cycle. So I know it's a big deal. I myself, when I was a teenager, had horrid symptoms of PMS. And I was actually at one point in time told that I might have endometriosis. But that was also told to me by a doctor who goes, oh, this is just you. Some people have difficult cycles. No, this is not just you. These are symptoms that your body is giving you that I'm not okay. My hormones are not in balance. My life is not in balance. My stress is not in balance. I'm not properly nourished. I'm malnourished. And truth be told, I was an anorexic in high school. I didn't eat most of the day, and I had an eating disorder, and so that translated to very painful periods. So I was doing it to myself, unbeknownst to me. Like, I thought I was doing the right thing, but I was doing the wrong thing. So you don't want to point a finger and say that, oh, I've been malnourishing myself, or I've been doing all these things that have contributed to why I'm having trouble in menopause or trouble with my periods. It's just we do things based on the information that we have. And once you gather new information and you realize, I'm probably not the best idea for me, then you can start to make informed decisions about what's better for your body and start working towards that. So that's my goal for today's class is to educate you and then let you decide what you want to do to take charge of your health because you are your best, best health advocate, not a doctor, not myself, you know, not a practitioner you're working with. You have to take charge of your own health. So make sure that you're taking the steps to do that. Okay, and then throughout any of this class, if you guys have questions, comments, post them below, and I will be sure to get to them. 
Now, I do want to talk about uh, birth control because this is generally what happens too is the average female starts, you know, like I said, between 12 and 14. They're told, oh, you're having symptoms around your cycle. Let's put you on birth control to see if we can get rid of that acne or get rid of those cramps or whatever. And so it's just standard process. You go into the doctor, they put you on birth control. Now you're part of the cool kids club. I'm on birth control. Look at me, you know. <laughs> but the dangers are not told to you. And the repercussion of being on a synthetic hormone at a very young age is not told to that individual generally. They're not informed. And so here's what I want to inform you now. If those of you listening, maybe your mothers of teenage girls getting ready to start cycling or maybe they've started cycling and the doctor's talking to them about going on birth control to help with symptoms, um, here's what I want to caution you on, okay? So I, I podcast for many years with a doctor named Dr. Ray Pete, who is an expert in female reproductive hormones. And he cautions that the use of estrogens in birth control pills and even IUDs can cause progesterone deficiency. And we're going to talk about why progesterone is so important. One study shows, in fact, that the intrauterine devices, those IUDs, block ovarian production of progesterone by a mechanism called luteolysis. Okay, a process by which the IUD's chronic uterine um, irritation causes degeneration of that corpus luteum, that little part of the, the where, where the egg pops off. That's the source of the ovarian progesterone. These artificial means of contraception can cause severe cramping, infertility, weight gain over time, and other seemingly unrelated problems, even things like autoimmune. And I'll go as far as there are studies that show breast cancer included among the long-term reactions to contraceptives, okay? So a 1966 study uh, demonstrated the dangers of prolonged pancreatic stimulation by oral contraceptives. So the birth control pill actually prolongs this bad stimulation to your pancreas. This increased level of free fatty acids has tended to people towards diabetes. Okay, and then there's numerous studies, like I mentioned, on maybe you're not going to develop breast cancer right away on the pill, but 20 years down the road, they're showing evidence that be, just being on the pill can set you up for a very increased risk of developing breast cancer because these are synthetic estrogens. These are synthetic progestins. They're not progesterone, and so it doesn't match up with the female body, so it uh, really sends even more of an unbalanced signal to the body. And I've had a lot of people come off birth control, and it takes six months to a year for their cycles to regulate back by doing natural means. So that's really not fun, but it can be done. You can get your body back into homeostasis by just making the proper decisions to go, okay, maybe this isn't the right choice for me. And birth control is a personal choice. So if you are not concerned about the long-term effects, I totally support you there, but I just want to give you the evidence here to help you make your own decision regarding it. Now, another prominent doctor, Dr. John Lee, you can look up his website too, tells us some of these drugs have resulted in permanent loss of ovary function and vaginitis, which is an infection in the vagina, occurs more among women taking the contraceptive pill. Contraceptive pills prevent the hormone-generated mucus from being produced to protect them, so that's where bad bacteria can build up. Birth control pills work. They do the job by suppressing all normal hormones. So while you're doing one thing, you're creating a lot of other problems, unfortunately. Then you have people that, like I mentioned, that stop the pill, which is you know, probably a good idea based on the evidence. But I will say that many women do deal with irregular cycles or amenorrhea. Maybe they don't get their cycle back for a while. Hair loss, cystic acne, autoimmune disorders, leaky gut, gut dysbiosis. Now, I want to pause here and say if you are in menopause and you think back and you're like, yeah, I was on birth control for a while, and you went through this variation, you could still have a hormonal imbalance because your body was dysregulated for a length of time. You could still be at risk if you took that pill for, for breast cancer so, and other forms of cancer. So you want to do yourself a good service of looking at the liver, looking at your detox pathways, and working on regulating those hormones now to prevent those things from happening, okay? Gut dysbiosis, severe nutritional deficiencies happened after coming off birth control and the, the associated gut issues like bloating, constipation, diarrhea. 
So migraines, weight gain, these are a grim picture. You know, people are going, why would I want to come off birth control if this is what's going to happen to me? But wait, okay, because we have to look at the evidence of getting natural female cycles going again and how good that is, okay? And yeah, do we need estrogen? Absolutely. I'm going to talk today about decreasing excess estrogen, but every female and even men need small amounts of estrogen. We need estrogen to maintain healthy cycles, providing short-term stimulus to our cells to successfully ovulate at the end of the follicular cycle that we were talking about. But we want to keep it in check by maintaining our cycles naturally and by boosting our body's natural production of progesterone if we can. If not, there's supplementation because there is natural progesterone and not progestins. But you want to get as close to nature as you can to help your body do what it's designed to do. If we get out of our way, we can balance estrogen and progesterone naturally. But we have to get away from those sins against nature that we've talked about. Okay, um, In excess... So estrogen dominance is a, is a big buzzword now. Elevated, elevated levels of estrogen steals oxygen from the mitochondria. Yikes. Okay, Remember, your mitochondria is your little energy factories in every cell. So if you're stealing oxygen because of excess estrogen, you're not going to have that energy in the cell. So you're going to have fatigue. You're going to have growth problems if the, if the girl is still in, in a growth phase. You're going to have inflammation, aging, fatty acid oxidation, and eventually cell death even, okay, without mitochondria getting that oxygen they need. So in the presence of estrogen, cells shift towards a behavior consistent with stress physiology as they starve from oxygen deprivation and lack the necessary ATP, that's your energy, that's pumped out, required to function. Okay, So excess estrogen is very prominent today due to a few reasons, which we'll go into when we talk about obesogens and xenoestrogens. But just to give you some cliff notes, we live in a plastic world. Everything is plastic, okay? Plastic water bottles, plastic bags, plastics in our cosmetics, microplastics in our water filter, our water systems. So we're bombarded with these BPAs, BPSs, BPFs, all of the things that say BPA-free are still plastic containing a still a xenoestrogen just with a different acronym, BPS, BPF, okay? still dangerous to our system because never in human history have we had so many plastics. Toys made out of plastics, clothes made out of plastics, everything's made out of plastic. So we have to do ourselves a service of looking at where are all these obesogens or xenoestrogens that mimic estrogen in our body coming in at and where can we mitigate those. Okay, so step one is like look at your plastic exposure and let's drop it down a bit because that's going to help your female cycle, that's going to help you in menopause, and that's going to help your fertility for those of you who are wondering about that. Now we'll get more into that and we're going to get into progesterone too, but before we do that I wanted to mention something really interesting. So another personal choice is when people decided to or not to take a COVID vaccine, okay? And that's a personal choice, but here's the evidence in studies. So if you had the vaccine and then you found a, that you were having troubles with your menstrual cycle or even troubles in menopause more so than you had before, a study found a potential association with the COVID vaccine and menstrual cycle irregularities, which could impact females' quality of life, okay? And I'll link that in the notes so you can take a look at that. So this was a published study um, that just demonstrated the fact that, yes, if you took it and all of a sudden you got a bunch of menstrual irregularities, your cycle was off, it was longer than it was supposed to be, you had all these symptoms related to it, then there's a reason why, okay? It's not just you. It actually did affect your cycle. So just being aware of that helps women calm down and go, okay, something's not wrong with me. It was actually, you know, I took this and this is the repercussion of it, okay? Now, let's go into um, progesterone because progesterone, like I mentioned, is a female reproductive hormone, but it's more than that. Progestation means procreation of new cells. So for men and women, progesterone is huge, okay? I think I did a whole class on progesterone, but if I didn't, let me know and I'll do one because progesterone is in a study called the key to life. That was a 2021 study, the key to life this promising uh, aspect of the physiology of progesterone in the body, in the human body, not just the female body, okay? Most recent studies of progesterone um, provide remarkable insights into the physiological role and clinical importance of this hormone. And so although the name progesterone means promoting gestation, 
the steroid hormone is far more than that. It's recognized as the key physiological component of not only the menstrual cycle and pregnancy, but also the essential stereogenic, stereogenic precursor of other gonadal and non-gonadal hormones, such as aldosterone, cortisol, estradiol, and testosterone. Okay, so these are all critical. You've heard me talk at length about how a female should really be in tune with what her testosterone level is. And progesterone helps it become higher. So if you have low progesterone, you want to work naturally. I mean, if you have low testosterone, you want to work naturally on your progesterone. Okay, before you start taking, you know, bioidentical testosterone or whatever, you can actually help it by increasing your natural levels of progesterone. Based on the current findings, progesterone and novel progesterone-based drugs, I'm reading the study here, have many important functions, okay, including contraception, uh, treatment of dysfunctional uterine bleeding, immune responses, prevention of cancer, okay? So considering the above, reproduction and life are not possible without progesterone. Thus, a better understanding of this essential molecule could enable safe and effective use of the hormone in many clinical conditions, okay? So we want to aim towards, when it says novel progesterone-based drugs, let's aim towards natural progesterone, okay? Not progestins, because if you go look up studies on progestins, they're going to be linked with certain types of cancers, okay? So we don't want the synthetic stuff. We don't want an oral progestin that somebody gives us at the doctor's office. You want a natural progesterone cream uh, that's derived from natural sources such as wild yam and things like that. So that's something to consider, not something that comes from a lab and is a synthetic form of progesterone. But progesterone, I've seen it help so many women, whether they're infertile, whether they're in menopause, whether they're having wonky cycles. Supplementing with a natural progesterone is huge when it comes to regulating that female cycle and getting PMS to be abated, okay? So keep that in the back of your mind because, yeah, there's natural ways to increase progesterone, but you really have to do a due diligence against stress because stress will use progesterone. If your body is stressed, you'll use up that progesterone to make cortisol, which is your stress hormone. Okay, so there's nothing left in the tank for a healthy cycle, which is why a high-stress job, a high-stress relationship, a high-stress lifestyle where you put a lot of type A pressure on yourself, you're going to have painful periods because there's nothing left in the tank to calm your body. Progesterone is your calming, happy hormone to regulate your cycles, to keep your mood stable, which is why we see things like cramps, bloating, Mood swings are huge. I mean, um, there was this study about women in prison who had committed crimes. Most of them had done it during their their PMS phase right before their cycle. Yikes. That's how powerful it can be. You can prevent yourself from doing murder, you know, by just regulating your cycle with a natural progesterone. So it's very important to look at progesterone when it, first and foremost, when I talk to a female and she's dealing with cycle issues or menopause issues or fertility issues, I'm going to hone in on what can we do to elevate her progesterone naturally? And then also, do we need to supplement? Like, is her life in a stressful manner in such a way that we can't, you know, there's stressors we can't change. If you're a caregiver, if you do have a high stress job that you can't get out of right now, then we're going to have to help your body deal with that. And that's where progesterone supplementation comes in. Now, another factor we want to mention is leptin. And remember, I just did a class on leptin. So if you didn't listen to that, go back and hit videos on this page and then scroll until you see the title that says leptin. It's just one or two classes back. But leptin regulates reproductive function by altering the sensitivity of the pituitary gland and acting to on the ovaries to regulate the follicular and the luteal phases. Yikes, that's huge. Like leptin is actually giving the signal to your body, this is follicular, this is luteal. Okay, so if you don't have adequate leptin levels, you're not going to make adequate progesterone. You're not going to make adequate reproductive hormones when they should be released. You're not going to have that circadian rhythm, that cycle of your period, and it's not going to be regular. 
lot of women that struggle with irregular periods where they're like 36 days, 42 days, 23 days, like they never know when it's coming, they never know what to expect. That's typically due to a leptin issue. They don't have a circadian rhythm. Our body loves rhythm, okay? Make a rhythm and see how good you feel when you stick with a rhythm. That's why music feels so good because you find a beat and there's a rhythm and it makes you calm down, okay? The same is true for the rhythms of our body, the cycles, the seasons. You know, as soon as you're on track and your body knows what to expect and daily you have a morning routine, you have an evening routine, you have a wake-up routine, you have a wind-down routine, you eat at the same times of day, you experience the same cycle changes throughout your month. I do, I work out like this on my follicular phase. I work out like this on my luteal phase, which we'll talk about in just a second. When your body sees those cycles, and for those of you with dealing with infertility, that's when the body goes, you know what? We have a rhythm now. I'm releasing the right amount of leptin. I'm releasing progesterone when I need to. We can house a baby now. Okay, so if you know anybody dealing with infertility, tell them they have to create rhythms in their life and they have to start acting like they would when they have that baby. Because let me tell you, when you have a baby, you're going to have to have some rhythm in your life because babies thrive on rhythms, too. And they're going to have a rhythm that's going to you're going to have to match up to. Okay, they thrive on morning routine, evening routine, napping at the same time, you know, so all of this is essential for you to consider when whether you're in period pain, you're in menstruation, you're in menopause, you're dealing with infertility, you have to have leptin regulated, you have to have circadian rhythm regulated, you have to have rhythm. All right, so like I mentioned, a period at best should not be um, painful. It should be an inconvenience. Here's the symptoms, and you know we'll address some typical things you're going to see with certain times of your, your monthly cycle. And then what's not typical? What do you not want to see? Okay, but we're going to talk about some symptoms. And I might touch on the why. Why did my cycle get out of sync other than, like I mentioned, there's a few things. There's, you know, there. well, I should go into the two types of period pain, which is spasmodic. We're going to go into that. And congestive. Okay, so let's touch on that right before we jump into symptoms here. So this is based on a doctor out of the UK and spasmodic type of period pain or PMS or PMDD is inflammation. Okay, so this is the type of person that has a lot of prostaglandins. Prostaglandins are pro-inflammatory compounds that are building up in the body. So these individuals get gut inflammation. They might be consuming a lot of PUFAs, those polyunsaturated fatty acids, which promote prostaglandins. Okay, they might be eating a lot of nuts and seeds, which promote prostaglandins. They might have chemicals in their food because they're eating a highly processed standard American diet. Um, they might have low minerals. They might have excessive estrogen due to nutritional and physical and daily stressors. Okay, they might be in, eating a lot of estrogenic foods like soy and Splenda and things like that. So spasmodic is inflammation. They're going to have. They're the ones that are going to have a lot of that bloating and pain in their joints, and they're going to wake up on the day of their cycle and just feel like they've been hit by a Mack truck. Everything's tight and swollen, and they put on five to seven pounds. They might get that spasmodic cramping or spasmodic or spasms in their back and things like that. So this is more of the inflammation in the body. Then you have the congestive period pain, and this is a more of a progesterone deficiency and trouble manufacturing progesterone, or they're using it up due to stress. And these individuals are going to see more of the mood swings. They're going to see more of the feelings of getting sick around their period. Maybe they feel like their immune system is dropping. They're going to feel like they do get all the cramping and breast tenderness and stuff like that, but they, they feel almost like what the word is, congested, like stuffed up, like everything's just kind of like ugh, like sludgy and stodgy and backed up. And maybe these individuals, like the spasmodic, are going to get more of the period poops. Like I tell women, you know, if you get those that diarrhea around your cycle, those are the period poops. That's more of the spasmodic. The congestive individuals can actually get bloated and, and constipated because they're all backed up with that congestion of not having progesterone. Okay, so those are the differences in the period pain. So you might resonate with one or both of those. Some people fall in somewhere in between of both types of pain. Now, here's the symptoms of if you know that you're having trouble with your hormones. So this is going to be more of the individual that is, oh, you're going to stand by for a second because my computer's about to go dead and i got to go grab my um, plug-in. Okay, so talk amongst yourselves.
so the symptoms related to um, having higher estrogen, trouble with the progesterone, and again, I want you, the, you, those of you in menopause, to think back to your cycle. Did I have any of these? Because maybe that's what's indicating that I'm estrogen dominant still now and progesterone deficient. Because here's what happens. When a woman goes through menopause, her hormones in general drop off. You get lower estrogen, lower progesterone. But if you were estrogen dominant prior to menopause and you were having all these female cycle issues, then yeah, your estrogen dropped down, but your progesterone dropped even farther. So you're still estrogen dominant. And now you're going to get those symptoms of hot flashes, night sweats, trouble focusing. You're going to start putting on weight because estrogen is dominant. So estrogen is a growth hormone. It can promote not only the growth of excess weight in the body, but also excess tumor growth. So that's where women of menopause age start to see that they're, wow, I'm, I just found out I have a tumor or I just found out I have breast cancer or I just have, you know, whatever. And so that is why we have to regulate those hormones, whether you're in period mode or you're in men menopause mode or you're infertile. We have to get the balance of estrogen to progesterone. So here's the symptoms of hormonal cycle issues that need to be addressed, typical and not typical. So typical, let's talk about pain, okay? Pain, cramping, some sort of uncomfortability, that's all right if it's minor, okay? Let's talk about like just a little bit of cramping that's not inconveniencing your day, okay? You're not having to go, oh my gosh, I have to stay home from work or I have to stay home from school or whatever. No, if you're taking more than two Advil per cycle, not per day, per cycle, if you're taking more than two ibuprofen or more than two aspirin or mitol to get through, that is an estrogen dominance factor, okay? You should, you should get away with maybe two, maybe one or two is all you need through the whole cycle, not the day. But if it's more than that, we got to talk, okay? You're having some hormonal cycle issues. Spotting. If you're having spotting before your period, that is not typical. You should not be spotting. Sometimes, yes, a very minor spotting at ovulation can be normal for some women, okay? For some women, just a little titty, titty, tutty bit of spotting can be normal. But if you're spotting, if you're on like day 25 or 26 and you're spotting and then you're spotting some more and then all of a sudden it goes into a big bleed, that's not typical, okay? That's not normal. Now, if you get like one little spot and then you start a bleed and it's day 28, then that's typical for you. But in general, if it's days and days before you're supposed to start your period, that's a low progesterone aspect. Progesterone is what holds the period in. So if it's not holding it in, if you're low, you're not going to have that aspect of holding it in. So those little parts of the uterine lining are coming out. Breast swelling and pain tenderness. Here's what's typical. Your breasts get a little change. They get a little bigger towards your uh, luteal phase where your body's like, am I pregnant? Am I not? What's going on? Maybe I just want to increase the size of my breast a little bit. Normal. If there's massive swelling and you change cup sizes and you have tenderness and you can't even give people a hug, okay, that is not typical. That is that is PMS, and we have to deal with that by balancing the hormones. If you have weight gain during your cycle, here's what's typical. Yeah, you can put on one to two pounds of water weight. Your body starts to get ready to excrete that uterine lining, and it might hold a little more water, okay? But if you're five to seven pounds heavier with water weight on the – uh, on and around your cycle, not typical, okay? Um, acne, more cystic around the jawline. You're getting more like big growths around the jawline, not typical. If you're getting like one pimple, fine, okay? Hormones are just barely fluctuating. Extreme moodiness, okay? If your family can't stand to be around you right before you start your cycle, not typical, okay? But if you're just like barely, like you cry at the Zoloft commercial where the little white ball's bouncing around, he looks sad, that's fine, okay? Like those emotions are okay, but it's extreme moodiness, irritability, if you want to bite everybody's head off or you know that you shouldn't be around people a few days before your cycle starts, not typical, okay? Um, if you have been called an emotional tyrant, okay? <laughs> not typical. Like I said, women convicted of murder have been found that it was most likely right before they started their period. So that can be extreme. Like um, this PMDD, more of this, dis this disorder, can actually disrupt people's lives with how emotional they become. And that is because progesterone, like I said, is your calm, happy hormone. So if progesterone is dipping so low that they don't have any calmness and they're full of anxiety and you get that troubled inner ball of tension right before you start your cycle, then 
it's on a teeter-totter. Estrogen is going to go much higher, and estrogen, if it's too high, can be an irritant to the body. It can elevate serotonin too high, and serotonin is our feel-good hormone in balance, but if it's too high, you get serotonin syndrome where you're rage, you're irritated, you're lashing out, okay? So these hormones play into our psyche. They play into our the way we live our life. That's why it's really important that we regulate that female cycle. Brain fog is another one. If right before your cycle, you're like, why do I forget everything? Why am I dropping everything? Why am I just, I can't focus. I can't concentrate. I feel like I have ADHD. Okay, that's normal for someone who's not normal. Okay, that's that's a typical response to somebody who's having hormonal issues. But if you're just like, you know, like sometimes right before my period, I drop things. Like I just get a day where I'm like, I'm dropping everything. <laughs> okay, that may just be like your, your hormones are dropping and your body's sensing it. Okay, so that's typical. That's nothing to worry about. Fatigue. Maybe you get a little drop in energy before you start your cycle. That's okay. But if you feel like you are completely depleted and you need to take a nap daily on your cycle or before your cycle and you you have no gas in the tank, that's not typical. Okay, to go be alone or go inward, that's typical. Like sometimes that's what a woman really needs to hone in on is that those days leading up to her menstruation and during her menstruation, we need to go inward. We need to like calm down. Women of ancient times used to have a tent that they all went in. Um, to just kind of be by themselves, to be with other women who are menstruating, to calm down, to not do all the things. This is a time for to go inward, to, to be soft to ourselves. You know, I actually think that a woman on her cycle should be able to take day one and two of her cycle off from work because it's a, it should be an emotional day where she gets to like decompress. Okay, and that way we're following the rhythm of the cycle. Diarrhea or looser stools around your cycle, those period poops, not normal, okay? You should have still regular bowel movements, and if your body's stimulating you to the point of releasing and having watery, loose stools, that's not typical, okay? Uh, gas and bloating, a little bit, it's okay. Excessive amounts, not typical, okay? That's period pain that we need to address. Chocolate cravings, if they're severe and you're eating all the things before your cycle starts, you have all the salt cravings, the sweet cravings, the chocolate cravings, usually due to a mineral deficiency because if you're not keeping up with your mineral minerals, that's a reason why sometimes you're having period pain in the first place. But also it could be a magnesium and zinc deficiency and we need to just bump those up right before your cycle to see those cravings abate, okay? Increased appetite, like I just said, if you're eating all the things and your appetite's just going crazy, number one, we need to pay attention to that because part of helping your cycle regulate is ensuring that you're getting enough nutrition because your body is working hard to shed that lining, and so sometimes you're gonna need more calories during that time. Your body's also working hard during ovulation, so if you get an increase in appetite then and it's trying to pop off that egg, you'd be surprised how much energy making an egg, releasing an egg, planting an egg takes. So those are all normal increases in appetite. But if, if it's excessive and you find yourself overeating before or during your period, that's not normal. And then decreases or, or decreased or lowered immune function. A lot of women will tell me, oh, I got a cold the first day I started my period. Okay, we need to look at that because progesterone helps with the immune system. So if progesterone's too low, then it can cause you to react to germs that normally you would be able to fight off. But unfortunately, during your cycle, you got sick. Uh, nausea for some women can be a thing during the first couple of days of their cycle. And then migraines are huge. Migraines and painful headaches, those are not typical, not normal for a cycle. You shouldn't be having those, and we need to address those. Okay? This is estrogen dominance, dominance and low progesterone. If you have any of these during menopause, this is also estrogen dominance and low progesterone, okay? If you have these issues while you're trying to conceive, this is estrogen dominance, low progesterone. That's why I lumped all this class into one because by correcting the estrogen dominance and getting that progesterone level up, you can correct your cycle no matter what phase of life you're in right now, okay? Now, before we go on to the solutions, I want to talk about two last little symptoms. Some women are having light periods, too light of periods. They're not releasing enough blood, um, and that's a symptom. So estrogen, when this happens, when you're having a light period and you're only getting like one or two days and it's barely any blood, estrogen is low, and usually your blood work will show that 
across the board, all your hormones are low. This happens to women too, to where, yeah, progesterone is low, but estrogen is also low. And estrogen is what builds that lining. So if the period is lighter, low estrogen never built the lining correctly. And if progesterone is low, then it doesn't finish the work because progesterone needs to be in a primed lining, a primed uterine lining in order to set the stage for potential pregnancy. So a lighter period, maybe the blood is pinky, light red color, like it's not that dark, rich red blood. That's an issue with your hormones across the board are low, and we need to do things to nourish your system and get all of the hormones in balance. Now a heavy period, which is classified as over 80 milliliters of blood, okay, um, has a lot more fluid and it has a lot more tissue and clotting and stuff like that. You should not have clots in your blood, okay? You should not see partial pieces of the uterine lining. That's not typical. That means that we're having estrogen dominance, okay? If you're changing pads or tampons more than every one to two hours, that's not typical. And it usually involves the thyroid. The thyroid is having issues. There's an excess amount of stress probably on the system for a variety of reasons to where cortisol is high, which means progesterone is predominantly very low and estrogen is very high, leading to these heavy period symptoms, okay? So I just wanted to touch on that because that is something that I hear a lot of too. Either women are having little to no periods or they're having heavy periods, and that helps you understand what's going on in your body. Are you low across the board on all hormones or are you dominant in estrogen and you need to, again, balance them all out, okay? So a word on workouts around your cycle, too, is that during that bleed phase, you want to give yourself a little bit of rest, okay? The first few days of your period, just kind of like walking, maybe some stretching, just some lighter workouts, lighter weights, not too strenuous, maybe some bands or something like that. Then as you move into day, you know, 5 through 14, more of that follicular phase of building, you're going to feel a lot better. So that's when you can start to do more high-intensity workouts if you want to do more like some HIIT training or some Tabata here and there, stuff like that. That's cool. Ovulation too. Ovulation, you're going to feel your best. So go ahead and do the things that make you feel really good and also give you a little harder workout. Then as you move into the luteal phase, you're going to want to start to pay attention to are you getting any symptoms related to starting to drop off. Like some women, right after ovulation, they start to get breast tenderness. Okay, that's not normal. We want to address that. So part of that is make sure you're doing like lower intensity workouts, but also you can still lift heavy. You're just going to take more breaks in between. You can do more muscle building at this time because during ovulation and on about hmm, a few days before you start your period, you have these spikes in testosterone. So that's a nice time to lift heavy and promote some more muscle growth. But be sure to not add any HIIT training and be sure to not do too much cardio during this time because you want to respect the fact that your body is coming down from the high, okay? So in that respect, longer rests in between your weights. And then also as you start to get into right before your period starts, that's when you might want to move more into those gentler workouts again, okay? So just working with that, there's a natural cycle, again, a cycle that you help your own cycle with. Now here's the solutions that I've put together um, for menopause, period pain, and infertility. If you address these, you can help yourself no matter what phase of life you're in, okay? Um, first, let's talk about cramping because that's one of the biggest issues I hear from women. I have these severe cramps or I'm cramping around my period. I cramp before I start or I cramp after, whatever. Here's some remedies to try, okay? Because we are going to address these solutions from the root level, but in the moment, there's some acute things that you can do to help with cramping. Hydration and electrolytes are hugely important. Like I said, part of the reason why people cycle uh, people's cycle can be wonky or be painful is that they're actually low on minerals and electrolytes. So leading up to your period, maybe the week before, you really want to increase those electrolytes in your water. You want to make sure that you're staying properly hydrated with the right kind of water, not just plain water. You want to add magnesium to your water, add electrolytes and potassium to your water, and build up those mineral stores for when that period's about to come. It's going to be a lot easier, I promise you. Specifically with magnesium, a lot of women that have cramping 
are just very magnesium deficient. So taking Epsom salt baths, putting magnesium, like I said, in your water, taking your magnesium capsules, doubling up your magnesium before your period, because a lot of women notice bloating and constipation if they're that congestive period pain type right before their cycle. So if you'll double up on your magnesium, you're going to pull water into the bowels and help that elimination happen so that you're not getting backed up. So magnesium is huge for cramping. You can rub magnesium lotion or oil on your belly if you're cramping. That'll go right into the bloodstream. And what's happening is when the capillaries, those little capillaries that are trying to push that blood and that uterine lining out, when they get deficient in magnesium, they constrict. And so your body cramps to try to open those up. But when you take magnesium, you're actually going to open up those capillaries and relax them because magnesium is your calming mineral. And that's going to release the blood so there's no cramping, okay, if that makes sense to you. Now, Another thing you can do, which I really liked when I was younger, was this is before I knew anything about nutrition, but alternating ice and heat would help me a lot. So I'd put an ice pack on my belly, and then I might put a warm water bottle or some sort of heating pad on my belly too. So alternating ice and heat can bring blood flow there, and that will open up those, those capillaries as well. And then red light is very anti-inflammatory. So shining a red light on your abdomen during times of cramping or when you on day one of your period when there's a lot happening down there, shining that red light, getting sunlight, laying in the sun and exposing your belly, putting your belly on the ground and doing grounding and like laying in the grass with your belly on the ground. If you don't like bugs, just put a cotton quilt down or a blanket or something. Make sure it's a conductive fabric, but lay down there and notice how the inflammation goes away. Like it's so powerful, these 26 peer-reviewed studies of how grounding eases inflammation, including cramping. So, and then there is a few different types of herbs. One of my favorite is cramp bark. As the name implies, you can take this herb called cramp bark. You can make a tea out of it or take a herb um, in a capsule form, and that helps to minimize cramping. Okay, so um, we'll go into some more herbs with the solutions that we're having, not just for cramps, but for balancing hormones. And you can make a really nice tea out of several of these herbs. So now we go into the solutions to all of your cycle female problems. Let's start with number one, probably the most important, um, if not right there with nutrition, is stress mitigation. Okay, so if you have excess amounts of emotional, mental, you know, relationship stress, where can you address that? Where can you address the high stress job? Maybe you can't change the job, but can you take breaks throughout your day where you go outside and you get sunshine and try to de-stress from the stressful work environment? If you're having relationship stress, can you plan to sit down at a nice time when everybody's feeling good and talk about the stressors that you're under together and ask for support? If you're having physical stressors, of pain, you know, you're dealing with an injury or some sort of inflammation in your body, can you do things to soothe that so your body calms down? Can you ice and heat that area? Can you try acupuncture? Can you try, which I love for pain, acupuncture is one of the main things I recommend people go do when they're having severe bouts of pain in their body. All of these things, you know, mitigating your sleep, getting more rest, getting more sunshine, calms the nervous system. Water therapy is huge. Getting in water, a river, a lake, a stream of, you know, put up a metal tub that cows drink out of in your front yard and sit in it so you're grounded but you're getting in water. These things are huge for calming the stress in your body. Taking Epsom salt baths, you know, sitting and reading a book instead of scrolling on your phone and seeing what everybody else is doing that you're not doing, okay? Stress mitigation will help your cycle completely, okay? So if you do nothing else, where can I dial in the irons I have in the fire? Where can I say no? Where can I ask for help? Where can I take some things out that I really are not serving me, okay? Then you want to look at leptin correction, okay? Like I mentioned, go back and listen to that leptin class because there's a lot of tips in there on how to regulate that master hormone that regulates our female cycle. It regulates our circadian rhythm. It regulates all of the other hormones in our body, even things like thyroid hormone. So getting that in check can help so many different systems of your body, including menstruation, including menopause, including fertility, okay? Avoiding inflammatory foods. So the most inflammatory foods to the gut, because if your gut is wonky, then your cycle is going to be wonky. I can guarantee you that, okay? Inflammatory foods like gluten, I've said it 
and I'll say it again, most people do better when they're not using any form of gluten in their day. Once in a while, it's fine. But these day in, day out, small, you know, sandwiches here, pasta here, pizza here, it's this low-grade inflammation that elevates those prostaglandins, those pro-inflammatory compounds in the body that lead to this low-grade, like my joints hurt, my gut hurts, I'm not pooping, or I'm pooping too much, or my, you know, my skin is sensitive, and da-da-da-da-da-da. I could go on and on and on with how potent going gluten-free is to the body. Nuts and seeds are very scraping and irritating to the gut. So if you have a lot of gut issues going on, that's another inflammatory food you might want to move away from. Okay, and then just sticking to things like um, if you are going to have nuts like a macadamia nut, which is a monounsaturated fat, because the other aspect of inflammation is those PUFAs, staying away from the vegetable oils, the peanut oils, the seed and nut oils that go rancid very quickly. So unless you're picking a walnut off of the tree and eating it, by the time it gets in the jar for you to munch on, it's usually rancid, okay? So same with the walnut oil. And same with these seemingly healthy oils, sunflower, safflower, canola oils. We need to get rid of those because those are inflaming the body through those prostaglandins, okay? Alcohol is very damaging to the gut. So if you're consuming even one to two drinks a week, that could be too much to throw off your body to lead you into more symptoms of menopause. Many, many women that I talk to that are in menopause will tell you, oh, I get it. You just told me about alcohol, and I'm, I'm relating to the fact that now it's the nights I'm having alcohol that I'm having hot flashes and night sweats. Okay, so it's it's unbalancing your blood sugar. It's affecting your liver, which is waking you up at night and having you throw off the covers. So alcohol, avoiding that can actually help rebalance your liver, which is the master regulator of your reproductive hormones. we got to take care of the liver. And we'll talk about more of that in just a second. So hormones and food. Make sure that if you're eating dairy or meat, that you're not choosing foods that are just conventional because how do they fatten a cow? They inject it with estrogen. So when you eat that meat, you're getting small amounts of estrogen in your system that are now fattening you and throwing off your estrogen balance. Same with the milk. If they're injecting that cow with estrogen to promote milk growth, then that estrogen goes into the milk and you're drinking it and you're promoting more growth in your own body in a variety of ways, including tumor growth. Okay, so do yourself a service of buying grass-fed meat that has no hormones, organic dairy that's not been injected with hormones, okay? Then you want to eat every three to four hours because part of working a female cycle back into regulation and making it really pain-free is balancing blood sugar. So eating every three to four hours, making sure you have a protein and a starch of some sort, getting your body those, those all three macronutrients, a little bit of fat, some starch, good amount of protein, every three to four hours is going to balance that blood sugar. That's going to balance your thyroid output, and that's going to balance your reproductive hormones because even studies have shown that progesterone, the receptors won't respond if there's insulin resistance or if there's blood sugar handling issues going on. So just in order to get progesterone to activate on the receptors, we have to make sure that we're taking in balanced nutrition throughout the day. And then that leads to making sure you're breaking down the food, which starts with bile flow. I cannot tell you how important bile is to a healthy functioning female system, okay? Bile is this wonderful fluid that your liver makes, and if you have a gallbladder, your gallbladder excretes, but even if you don't have a gallbladder, the liver makes and pushes it out, and that's where you're going to glom on to excess estrogens that have been used and go into the gut to be recycled out, and bile's job is to recycle them out. So bile gloms onto them and pulls them out in the stool. But if you're constipated, if you're not making enough bile, if your liver is under stress, then you are recycling those estrogens back into your system and becoming more and more estrogen dominant, which is going to lead to more and more symptoms, okay? So bile is where it's at. My favorite remedy for bile flow is a couple different herbs. Now, if you're looking into fertility, then I don't want you to go with these first two, sarsaparilla and coriander. Coriander is probably fine for fertility because you don't want to take in anything during fertility that if you were to get pregnant, it would be harmful to the baby. So coriander is fine, sarsaparilla not so much, but if you're just dealing with pure 
period pain, sarsaparilla and coriander increase bile flow. I love that one. If you're dealing with constipation, you want to add in cascara, sagrada. That's another one that will not only pull estrogens out, but also helps you eliminate more stools. More stools mean more estrogens coming out. So we don't want you to go a day without pooping. We need to poop every day. Now, if you're pregnant or wanting to become pregnant, then you need to look at um, nettle tea, dandelion, and maybe red raspberry leaf tea. Okay, those things are safe, and you can do those to stimulate bile flow as well. They're not quite as potent as the as the sarsaparilla and the cascara, but they are potent if you're looking to get pregnant. So those stimulate bile flow. Getting sun on your liver, castor oil packs are amazing. So you can get, in fact, I can link a company that makes a mess-free castor oil pack that you can just wrap around you in the evening while you're doing your wind down routine for like 45 minutes. You just put it around your liver. You've got this great castor oil on it and it starts to calm you and soothe you. It's wonderful for just calming the body and putting you into this state of, uh, oh, I am ready for bed and I feel really good. Okay. Now, so bile production, liver health, taking care of your liver, red light on your liver, making sure you're not drinking alcohol, all of those will help with reducing that estrogen dominance, getting the excess estrogens out and balancing progesterone, okay? Phytoestrogens, you want to make sure you're not doing things like soy and lots of flaxseed and stuff like that, which can promote too much estrogen if you're already estrogen dominant. So avoid phytoestrogens. You might want to steer away from raw veggies and do more well-cooked veggies if you're doing them because a lot of those phytoestrogens are broken down during cooking. Okay, Progesterone supplementation. Any of the, if, the, if there's two things I can tell you to do for fertility or for period pain or for menopause is go out in the sun and take progesterone if you need it. Okay. They will, it will transform your life. Now, I love recommending ways to increase progesterone naturally, but for a lot of women, they're not able to change the stress that they're under, so sometimes we have to supplement. And that's where like a good progesterone cream, some drops on the skin just before you go to bed on days 14 through 28 of your cycle, if you're cycling, or just two weeks on, two weeks off, just to promote that natural, like push out too much estrogen and keep the right amount of progesterone. I've even seen, for those of you in menopause, you might not want to hear this, but I've even seen women who thought they were in menopause come back to a normal functioning 28-day cycle by supplementing progesterone. Their body wasn't done. It was actually malnourished and not serving them reproductive-wise, but they weren't done with eggs. They just needed progesterone. And the longer a woman cycles, the healthier she is. So we don't want to shut off menstruation before it's time. So that's a really good indication that she was anti-aging at that point. All right, and then thyroid and mineral support is huge. You want to get in those minerals, the electrolytes, the magnesium, potassium, and the right ratio of potassium to sodium. Fruits are awesome for regulating your cycle. They're easy to digest if your gut is under stress. They provide enzymes. They provide those minerals they were just talking that we were just talking about. So using fruits as your carbohydrate could be very beneficial to balancing out your hormones. Magnesium, we've talked about at length how wonderful it is for cramping, but also just keeping that period in check. Double up your magnesium before you start your period or while you're on your period. And then if you're in menopause, make sure you're taking an adequate amount of magnesium because we're going through our magnesium every day, depending on what we're exposed to. We might burn a lot more than we think. So take it as needed for anxiety, for chocolate cravings, for trouble going to sleep at night, and so forth. Vitamin E is also a really great vitamin for when you're in um, period pain or menopause because it kind of acts like progesterone. It kicks out a little bit of estrogen. It helps balance the hormones. It helps kind of thin the blood if the blood's really clotty. So think about supplementing with maybe a progesterone that also has some vitamin E in it. Okay. And then I mentioned the teas, you know, the dandelion, the nettle, raspberry leaf, cascara, all of these are wonderful teas to have around your cycle or prior to your cycle to help with that bile flow and get the good estrogens to hang on and the bad estrogens out, okay? Circadian rhythm, I can't stress enough how getting your light right, seeing that sunrise come up first thing in the morning and then dimming all those lights at night to resist excess amounts of cortisol because if we're getting the wrong light at the wrong time of day, we'll make more cortisol, which will rob us of progesterone and leave us in the tank for our reproductive hormones. 
And finally, self-care. You got to take care of yourself to go back to that number one thing, which was the stress aspect. What are you doing outside of a device, outside of words with friends, outside of, you know, spending time with the kids? That's great. Be a good mom. Spend time with your kids. But what are you doing to nourish yourself? Do you have a hobby? Do you have a wind down routine? Do you have a time of day where you're like, I can't wait to fill in the blank. This is what I like to do to calm myself down. That's not a device. It's not alcohol. It's not... What would it feel like to have virtually every supplement known to man at your fingertips? And what if you only had to drink water to get it in? I firmly believe in something called frequency. It's what you feel when you touch a rock that's warmed by the sun. That warmth is frequency. It's how your text message gets to your friend's phone thousands of miles away. It travels on frequency. It's lightning. When the lightning hits the earth, it adds electrons to the earth, and that's how we ground. It's wind, it's brainwaves, it's microwaves. Everything has frequency. And now you can write frequencies into your water since water holds frequencies. So imagine if each supplement has its own frequency and you write that into water, you can literally have any supplement, any peptide, any bioidentical hormone in your water. Listen to a podcast I did with a guy named Anton Federenko, a leading expert on frequency, and then visit my link in the show notes to Infopathy or Infoceuticals, which is a way to infuse your water with the frequency of any substance or supplement that you want. Like I said, even peptides without ever spending a penny on them. Check out the show notes for a link to Infopathy and a special discount code just for my listeners.